welcome back to another edition of our MLOps community. I think we might have lost Demetrios. Let me, uh, why don't I get started? Um, so uh, apologies for our, our uh, technical difficulties. Uh, my name's Chris and I kind of have worked with Demetrios in the past. So, uh, so I'm going to jump in here and kind of get the, get the ball rolling while Demetrios comes back. Um, and so I haven't had the privilege to talk to you guys yet. So I know Demetrius has been kind of prepping this and talking through it. So I'm going to do, uh, two things. Uh, one, I'm going to probably butcher your names and I apologize. It's, I believe it's Kaki and Cristiano, but if I just said that wrong, I apologize up front. And two, I'd love for you guys to introduce yourself and, and tell, tell us a little bit about you and, and kind of, uh, what you guys do at, at Newbank. Oh, Kaiki, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. So it's it's Kaiki. So it's kind of hard to to speak my name. So I I I accept your apologies. So you knew I was going to do it. The second I was put on the spot, I knew it was going to happen. So I yeah. totally apologize. Yeah, it's a pretty Brazilian name, so it's hard to to say it. Okay, so uh, I work with technology for almost 10 years right now. I started to work with business intelligence. So it's a very common thing for people that's working with data science today. So in the past, I work most of the time uh, dealing with ETLs and stuff like this. So during the years, I start to work closer to like the boom of big data so things like data engineering and how data flows in a company um and in the past like two years i joined a new bank and then i start to work closer to data science teams instead of uh this more data engineering big data related stuff um, and since then we are building like this data data science architecture uh, in the company and today me and Christian we work in the same team it's like a horizontal team where we take care of the tools and how we deploy models and stuff like this but we will talk uh, more about it during our conversation I think Christian can introduce himself sure uh, hi, welcome back, Demetrius. Um, hi, I'm I'm Cristiano. I'm um, yeah. I'm uh, I'm also I'm I'm uh, I have a grad uh, um, I graduated in computer engineering and a master's in in computer science and I worked most of my career as a software engineer uh, in several industries. Um, before joining a bank, I'm actually at no bank only for two and a half months now, something like that. So everything that we're going to talk about, none of that I, I take any credit for. I'm just, you know, describing it, but it's all being built by Kaiki and some, and Luam, who is our manager and some other great people, many people at no bank. I'm just, you know, just here to, to, to show up. Um, before no bank, I was at uh, Google for about seven and almost seven and a half years. And there I worked a lot with, um, also, like Kaiki said, like BI uh, type of stuff, uh, kind of uh, analytics uh, kind of things. And for the past two years inside Google, I was in, in, in Google Cloud, where I kind of specialized on the, um, I was at like a, on a, an, a consulting engineer uh, specializing in the machine learning and, and big data portions. So that's where I started to get into the MLOps uh, side of things. I, I noticed that there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people trying to do machine learning, but very few people understood the complexities of actually uh, making that stuff, uh, put that in production and making it efficient, automating, etc. So that's how I got into the MLOps uh, space. And then I joined Nubank uh, a couple of months ago. Because uh, it, I saw that it was a team that had a lot of that maturity and I wanted to be part of it. Yeah, and so can you explain a bit about um, what Nubank is for everybody that's sure. not Brazilian and probably <laughs> doesn't know about what you guys are doing? 
Sure. So, so no bank. I think it was founded in 2013, but uh, we launched launched our first product in 2014 which was a, a credit card and the bank's mission is is to like reinvent financial services so be like a a new version of a financial services company based on entirely on on technology design data science amazing you know basically what a, what a modern bank should be we're not i think we're not officially a bank because of some regulatory reasons or whatever but you know kind of similar to what a bank does. So we have uh, uh, our main products are uh, a credit card, a uh, checking account, payments account, uh, lending, there are you know a few other, uh, there are rewards in the credit card, uh, things like that. Um, so yeah, no bank was, was created with the, the idea that uh, you know, banking services are generally terrible. People don't like them. It's very bureaucratic, hard. So, you no know, bank was founded uh, with the mission to to make that a lot better. Um, so, yeah, and um, so we have we it's it's a, uh, most of our customers and the the no bankers employees are in Brazil. But uh, we already have operations in, in Mexico and offices also in, in Buenos Aires and in Berlin. So even though the company is mostly in Brazil right now, the idea is to be to expand throughout Latin America and, and maybe other countries in the future. So it's not, it's not the, the idea is not to just see in Brazil, but to, to, go, to go international. Um, yeah, I guess that's um, that's it about New Bank. I think we lost the mutuals again. <laughs> well, then I'm <clears throat> I'm coming back then. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm happy to help. This is why uh, it it takes a team effort here, and so I'm happy to jump in when needed. Um, so thanks for sharing that. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and so I know you talked about kind of you're not. Uh, I'm going to not put words in your mouth, hopefully, but you said you're not a, a, a traditional bank or you're not a real bank because of some regulation and things like that. So how would you say that, that you kind of are, are different and in that difference, kind of what are your, your ML, ML use cases that you have that you see? Right, right. Yeah. So, so Nubank is, is, is different in the sense that it started as a tech company from the start. So it's, it's, uh, it's a tech company in the financial services space. It's not like a, a bank that happens to use technology, right? That's, that, that seems like a small difference, but it, it's, it, it, it tends to be really big because we, we started uh, in, in the cloud, always has always been in the cloud and uh, um, technology, um, specifically this, uh, like uh, technology like cloud and, and uh, mobile technology, that kind of thing. Um, also design, customer experience and data science were pillars that the, the company was explicitly founded in. Uh, so we're proud to have uh, like a really great customer experience and a really great uh, technology experience for users. It's all we don't have any branches, any any physical uh, presence uh, for for people to 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 work with us. It's all through through the app and and other channels. And one of uh, some some of the the curiosities about about Nubank is that. Uh, the, the the technology technology wise, it's it's one of probably one of the largest uh, closure code bases in the world. For those who don't know, closure is a programming language that is entirely functional. Uh, that sends from Lisp, and it's uh, it runs on the Java Virtual Machine. And it's not a very common language for for people to to build on, but uh, at Nubank it worked really well. And uh, most of the the code in the bank is is in the bank is is built on 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 Clojure. And we use a database called Datomic, which is also built on Clojure. And it's interesting because it's all based on on uh, appending data, changing data. Uh, you always keep the history, so it's it's. It was it was chosen with the explicit goal of having all the data there to to do data science on it. So that's that's one 
when design that uh, decision that was was made. And we use ML for a number of things. Uh, right now, I think we have like kind of around 20 models in production, something like that. Uh, many of them are related to credit. Uh, so for example, whether to accept a customer for a credit card, how, how much limit that customer should be, uh, things like that, right? Several, several models in that space. Uh, there are some models also in, in the customer service uh, domain, like uh, which specialist is better to handle a certain type of question from a customer uh, and some, some fraud models as well. Um, so yeah, we, we, we use machine learning like from, from the start uh, for, for these kinds of things. Uh, so it's, I think that's slightly different from, from many companies that are trying to put ML to, to solve some problems that were previously solved with other techniques, uh, but Nubank started with ML. Uh, for those problems. So you say you started with ML uh, from the beginning uh, is kind of how I'm interpreting that. Uh, how has it been kind of core at the beginning? A lot of companies kind of, for lack of a better term, start uh, ML after they see problems arise. How have you guys changed that kind of uh, dichotomy to, to, mm -hmm. to use machine learning from the beginning? Yeah, I... <laughs> I wasn't there in the beginning, but uh, yeah, from what I, you know, uh, I heard from the guys who are, who are here from the beginning. Yeah, so so there were some data scientists that were uh, were hired uh, right from the start. I think Davi and and Ed were or some of our co-founders had that vision that data science would be really important, uh, and uh, I guess they had some already some use cases in mind that they thought that data science would be. Uh, applied to. So there are some data science that started, you know, right at the, the beginning of the company and started to, to create models and, and uh, use uh, all of that, uh, all of those techniques to, to you know, to, as, a, as, a, as an advantage for the company from the start. And kind of starting from that, from the, the ML perspective, what do you think, or, or maybe you have context, maybe you don't, but kind of the differences and challenges that, that you've seen kind of being a, uh, for lack of a better term, ML native company versus companies that are monoliths that, that are bringing ML in kind of after the fact. Right. Uh, Kaiki, uh, if you want to answer, um, I can, I can try, but if you want, jump in. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, uh, comes from, from the, the fact that the core of the company is technology is makes a big difference. So in some other companies that are not, uh, technology is not their core, uh, they tend to start from a process perspective, um, or, um, you know, do some 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 kind of solution that is is not uh, based on technology right away, and then the technology can kind of comes afterwards to solve it. So Nubank, since it's always been a technology company, I think it's it's kind of natural that machine learning just is just one more technology that you can use, uh, just like mobile, just like cloud. So uh, I think that was kind of natural. Uh, the, the choice of the platform was done from the start to have uh, to, to be able to gather the data for training models, etc. So that's um, uh, it's, it's it, I've worked with more traditional companies where it's hard because you already have all those silos for the data. You have the, the like the political structure that makes it hard to, to work together. And sometimes technology is not the biggest priority. So that's, that's the kind of, um, and also the leadership doesn't necessarily understand it very well. So that's the kind of, um, uh, challenge that I've seen in, in other types of companies. And, and I want to start talking about some of the tools you use, but, uh, I, there's a couple of questions that have come in and, and again, I'm, I'm horrible with pronouncing names. So, uh, Pritham, uh, has a question and, and do you just want to jump in and, and ask that? You can unmute yourself if you'd like. 
Sure. Uh, hey, uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, uh, just a quick background of myself. I, I work in the financial services as well uh, in the US and deal with machine learning in the cards and machine learning team as well. So just, and it's a very traditional bank uh, where we are trying to adopt machine learning, not, not as a bank, as you mentioned, where the foundation is ML and banking is done on top of that. So just curious to understand, uh, with COVID-19, a lot of things has changed around, you know, be it the marketing has paused and be it a lot of recoveries or, uh, you know, defaults kind of increase with unemployment rates. Just trying to understand how well equipped is, you know, this ML-based foundational infrastructure to the nimbleness of change in the market. Because traditional banks are struggling to, you know, get to make those changes as fast as they have to. Uh, just curious to understand how you guys are adopting it and getting things done on that front. Kaik, you wanna? Yeah, I think I, I can take it. Um, yeah, I, I think today we'll talk a, a bit about this. Uh, we are able to like put models in production, change the models in production uh, pretty fast. So I think it, this is one of the, the benefits from the things we, we built uh, over the, the last few years. Uh, but I still think there's uh, a common problem. This is probably like uh, a problem that traditional banks are facing we are facing uh, that is like the model monitoring thing. It, this is something that we are uh, still working on and kind of improving. Uh, today, we, we still need like a lot of people looking at the models and how they perform in order to, to be safe about changes. For example, uh, with the, the coronavirus thing, we are, were able to see how the, the user's behavior are changing over the over the months, uh, but we still like need a lot of business analysts and data scientists looking at how this impacts our models. So this is still not like a really agile thing because we we need like people looking at the data and understanding what what's happening. Yeah, but I think we have like some tools to to help us like put change the models in production, retrain models in a faster pace, uh, some monitoring. We, we have a lot of monitoring, but we still like need people looking on it. Yeah, but I think overall, we, that's it. Not sure if Cristiano has something to add. Okay. No, I think you. Thank you. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. So I'm back. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a lightning storm right now in the countryside in Germany. So, uh, I may pop in and out and I appreciate that Chris is there to catch me. He's my safety net, catch me when I fall. Um, but I'm not sure what you guys already talked about. Chris kind of filled me in a bit. I was just wondering like right now, the way that you deploy and develop models, have you talked about that at all? Uh, I guess well, yeah. we could go into that, right? Yeah, I yeah. think we can, um, can go on that topic. I think cool. one of the questions, it's really about how we, how we do it. Uh, so, okay. Um, so, Cristiano uh, talked about like how data science uh, was a, a core thing uh, since the beginning of New Bank. Uh, so, I think we had like this data scientist role, like really like generalist thing for four or five years. And then we really like created this position of machine learning engineer. And we start to look at like data science. Oh, we, we really need like an architecture and an infrastructure to support this. So before this, I had like different data scientists doing different things. Most of them like went from a computer science background. So they really, knew like what they they were doing but we didn't have like a really structured process and like a, a way to scale this thing so like two years ago we created this position machine learning engineer and then we start to build some some stuff on top of the the existing infrastructure find that finding out what uh, we can scale or not 
so we started like really like before this machine learning position, we had like an internal library that today is open source, but it's called uh, FK Learn. I can later uh, share in the Slack channel uh, the resources yeah, and everything. But basically, this library uh, was the first piece of code that was more like ML ops thing because it like set its standard on the way we build models. So FK Learn comes from functional machine learning. So the idea is that we put some some of the functional concepts into the way uh, data scientists build models. So comes really because uh, New Bank have, have this uh, functional programming background, but we, we saw that we could benefit from some stuff like don't have uh, states during the, the model training, things like this. In, we'll have some blog posts explaining it better, uh, but basically it's like, a, a wrapper on top of things like sklearn, xboost, lgbm, and what it does, it's, it standardizes like the, the APIs to those packages, and we can easily build what we call build pipeline. So it's a, a pipeline uh, with different learners, so data scientists can describe what what is the model in a standard way. So this was the, the first uh, tool we had. And actually, this tool is still uh, working. And actually, it's powering all our models in production. And it's the same package we had open source. It's the same one uh, we use in production. So it's it's a pretty sad thing. Like, we really know how it works. And it starts to help us. But we also saw, after some months and doing some uh, research, that data scientists had a hard time setting up things like how I fetch my data, how I save artifacts, um, things like model governance and so on, how I set like my, my API and things like this. And then we start to work, this tool is, is internal only, but we had some presentations about it. It's called SHIP and it's a Python library uh, that uh, it like makes easier for data scientists things like uh, set the API, save the artifacts. So it just like expose some uh, some APIs for the users to interact with our our infrastructure. So that's why it's uh, only internal, isn't uh, open source because it's really built on top of our our infrastructure and. And it's the tool that data scientists use to train models and serve as batch model or or real-time model. That's like the classification we have uh, at NewBank. So we start to build this and kind of set like a standard for the way data scientists can uh, build models. So SHIP uh, exposes like a, what we call a model configuration. So it's a YAML file, and usually data scientists only deal with this YAML file configuration to set up things like where my training data is available, uh, like my my training parameters and stuff like this. And they they write like the the model training function using FKLearn. So we just like remove a lot of uh, stuff that data scientists. Uh, needs to do, and they can focus only on modeling part, and the rest we, we take care. Uh, and we also have a template for 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 our models. It's something very similar from from the things Neilson presented past week. So we have like a, a standard uh, model template. So users just set up, oh, I want to create a new model and we'll have a command line where they put like, okay, new pro new model project. And then we set up a, a GitHub repository with everything they need and they don't need to care that much about what's happening. Uh, so a few yeah, questions go. come to mind with that. One is, how was it being done before? Was it very chaotic and that's what made you need to create that? Uh, yeah, 
wasn't wasn't that chaotic for real like i was i expected worse but uh we didn't have a lot of models in production so that's why i think things used to work uh and as the fk learn uh was like the first library it already set some standards but yeah we, we had some like really weird stuff happening like python models calling r scripts and like really messy stuff um and i i think one of the the main issues is even that people are doing things right but sometimes if you don't have standards we end up like copy and paste code and doing the same stuff in like three different ways for example like one really common thing we used to have in the beginning is like set a way to deal with s3 objects so our infrastructure is uh, on top of aws so we use s3 ec2 and things like this so users used to every single time okay i will build a model and then they set up a, a method to get an artifact from s3 and how to save that artifact so we had stuff like this like i think it's a very common uh, scenario for most of the components but at scale this get like really really messy and no one can like handle uh, a lot of different uh standards yeah completely so now when well, i see a question in the chat it's from conrad he's asking how do you deal with data governance and protecting personal data in the cloud yeah okay so um i i think we'll have a, a lot of uh, different stuff in this topic i think the first one is like the model governance itself because in a regulated market like ours uh, we need to enable like the internal auditors and uh, teams like these ones to easily fetch like model information how the models uh has been uh, built and put in production things like this so for this we we rely on the model configuration so this model configuration thing is really a, a description of of the model so things like who built the model where the data is is available uh, and stuff like this uh, and we also have a model metadata store so it's a service that every single time a model goes to production we send some metadata to the services so things like uh which model went to production um the metadata like the the data where the when the model goes to production who trained it stuff like this uh, and this way we kind of govern us uh, our models we still have like a lot of stuff to do on top of this uh but it's like the first draft and we kind of have uh, some information there now about like data governance uh so we didn't explain this before but and your bank will have a, a lot of data related teams so we have a, a team that's dedicated only to data protection so they they are are dealing with things like the lgpd that is is the brazilian gdpr uh, and the same for other countries like mexico for example or germany where we have offices and we need to uh, comply with uh, gdpr uh, and today most of our data governance is it's built on top of our ETL. So the new bank ETL, it's like a really big project where uh, everyone kind of build the data sets and build the data flow, but it's like the data engineers that take care of this. Uh, but yeah, so we kind of uh, rely on the, on the metadata of each data set. So since the, the beginning, when the data is created, our engineers can can mark the data so tag the data with PII information or if it's like just a, a, a one feature or a song and all data is typed so we we propagate this this information during the, the ETL project process 
uh, and also the users can mark other other uh, other columns and stuff like this as PII or not. And it's kind of the way we we gov governance the data. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I covered everything. So data governance and protecting personal data in the yeah, clouds. Yeah, cool. so yeah, yeah that's great. That's so jumping back around a bit, you were mentioning before when you develop and you deploy these models and how you have a framework and an open source um, library. I think you also mentioned to me before you're using some kind of form of Kubeflow. Are you using like KF Serving? And was that because Cristiano came over from Google and he said, hey, we got to use Kubeflow? No, yeah. <laughs> no, so, no, not my fault. It was already here. <laughs> Yeah, so we started to use Kubeflow before Cristiano joined it. Uh, yeah, but today we have two uh, main use cases for Kubeflow. We use Kubeflow to serve uh, Jupyter notebooks. So in the past, this used to be a big problem because we need to set up like EC2 machines to enable data scientists to have their, their Jupyter notebooks. So we are, we are using Kubeflow to solve that issue. And we also use Kubeflow to train our models. So we, we have like a, a standard uh, Kubeflow pipeline, but also we enable users to uh, design their own uh, pipelines. But we don't use uh, Kubeflow to serve models. So actually, uh, our models are served in our default infrastructure. And yeah, maybe I, I can explain this. So as yeah, Cristiano talked, before uh, new bank it's a closure based company so most of our code base is written in closure and most of our microservices uh use closure also i think we have something close to 300 300 uh, microservices or more uh, and a lot of uh, things from our infrastructure uh, already exists for closure so things like uh, authentication uh security things and and so on but in the past we used to um, replicate everything uh, for python but we we noticed that this would take a lot of time and maybe in the future we will need a lot of machine learning engineers to keep these libraries updated so what we choose to do is create what we call a, a sidecar written closure so today the interface that our the interface with the other services are a closure sidecar that actually calls the Python model in a local host. So it's kind of different uh, from what people used to do, but we, we saw that uh, this could work. So we spin up uh, a Python service that don't have any like authentication or things like this, but it works only at local host. And we also have this sidecar within closure that deals with the rest of our infrastructure. So that's why we don't use Kubeflow. Uh, a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of the stuff we are talking here, we rely on things that our engineers did for, for the other mic microservices. So we find out that it would be easier to just use like the common uh, deployment pipeline, test pipelines for for the other microservices for machine learning stuff. Wow, that's fascinating. I had no idea you were using Clojure for that. Okay, so what are some of the challenges that you're reaching when you're going about this? I mean, I imagine that it's not all gravy as you're using many different, you're pulling from many different areas and piecing it together. So what have you found have been some of the biggest difficulties? Yeah, I, f I think uh, one of the challenges like is to um, to scale like this uh, machine learning approach or way of thinking for the entire company. So I think we have more than 300 engineers. So one of the challenges is kind of like gluing everything together. So how the microservices working and how the models working and like getting both chains like closer uh because we we always have like this discussion oh this is a model and this is a software 
And sometimes we need to think like, okay, the model, it's a software and the things uh, should work uh, as expected. So this is one of the challenges. Uh, and I think that the other challenge is, it's something that we still like working on, but is how can we, we make all these uh, frameworks, libraries and, and everything like really easy to use and how is the user experience, like how data scientists deal with uh, this, this stuff. Because I think w one of the things like the, the MOOPs uh, approach enable us is like to not only scale the, the models deployment and so on, but also scale the team. So in the past, we used to hire only computer scientists and people that are really like able to build software and understand how the, the entire architecture works. Uh, but I think over the past years, like we start to build new tools and frameworks, we are kind of allowing us to hire people from different areas. So I think the hardest thing is like how we, we build software that are really easy to use and, and don't slow down this, this other background. So we don't require people to learn how to code in closure in order to put a model in production or, and things like this. And how many people are on the data science team or the machine learning engineering team in total? Yeah, so we have uh, 70 uh, uh, people in the data science uh, chapter. I think it's kind of 50% is machine learning engineers and 50% is data scientists. Uh, yeah, but that's it. It's kind of cool. a, a, lot, a lot of people. So today we are, we are facing like this thing, like, okay, we really scale the team and right now how we will offer the best tools for them. Yeah. And Cristiano, I'm wondering, you mentioned before that you saw Nubank as being very mature in their uh, machine learning pathway. What was it that made you <laughs> see that and want to to try to, or what, what was it that made you think that, I guess, is the question. Right. So I guess one of the great things about Nubank is, is, is its openness. So as Kaiki mentioned, we open sourced our, our machine learning framework. And we also have a meetup. Uh, I think it's monthly, a machine learning meetup. So one of the, in one of those meetups, our, our manager, Luan, actually presented all of the MLOps infrastructure, basically everything we're talking about, Luan explained it in the in that meetup. And so I saw that, you know, a lot of, of things were already being uh, considered and worked on. Um, and so, so this is, this is like what, what attracted me, but also like, like you said, it's not, even though, uh, Nubank, I think it's much more mature than many companies. It's of course, it's not, not all problems are solved, right? So one of the biggest problems that we have today is, um, for serving real time models, um, you train the model with data from, from the, um, from the ETL, right, from the from the data lake uh, in batch. But when you want to serve in production, you're going to have to call uh, APIs to get the, the fresh data for all the features that you want. So we're working on a, on a feature store uh, to solve that. So the idea is to use uh, data streaming uh, transformations uh, in order to like have the same transformations that you can do for for batch data, you can also do for uh, serving serving features in real time models with low latency. And I guess there's also that would also have a benefit of like this. We're still not not at that point yet, but when we eventually get that that feature start working, uh, there are many models that could reuse the same features. And today sometimes. Uh, data scientists will just, you know, recreate the same feature over and over because they need it for different different models. If you had a centralized feature store, you could uh, enable that, like people just say, oh, there's this feature that's already already uh, created and it works in 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 for for real time models as well. I don't have to implement uh, code calling APIs and stuff. Let me just 
use this and that's, that could create like whole new use cases much more easily, right? So I guess we could, I, I, I think we could like kind of split the, the flow between the, the feature flow and the model flow uh, to, to build the overall MLOps flow. Yeah, that's something that I've been hearing a lot about. And I imagine a lot of people in the crowd are also in that same boat. When do we want to start implementing a feature store? Should we do it from the beginning or should we wait till we grow and we need it? Um, if anybody else is looking at feature stores or building them, let us know in the chat because it feels like that's been a topic that's coming up quite a bit lately. And so you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned monitoring is something that you're working on right now, right? Um, and feature stores are also something that are, are on your mind. Is there anything else that you feel like is, is fresh in the, the next, whatever it's, it's something that needs to happen soon? Yeah, I think, uh, like Kaiki said, there's a lot that I think we could improve in the overall, uh, data science data scientist experience and productivity. So some people just train their entire models on one machine, on the notebook machine. And sometime at some point we're gonna you know, have models that even with a very big machine are not gonna fit, we're gonna have to do distributed training. And also that has some, so that can have some, some inconsistencies. Um, not everybody does uh, hyperparameter tuning uh, in a consistent way. Some people do it, some people don't in, in different ways. Uh, it would be great if we could like just automate that in a way that if, uh, not just hyperparameter tuning, but also we could try different algorithms, do architecture search uh, in a way that could enable everyone to just, you know, automatically get the best possible model without having a lot of manual work. That's also something that we could you know, work on in, in the near, near future. Um, I think we also have like, uh, when we talk about MLOps, uh, there's also the ops side of things. Like there's some operation to do on that infrastructure, right? I think we, we need to evolve a little bit of that on, on like automating the infrastructure and, and um, our processes, like having better uh, SLOs, uh, things like that to, to make sure we, we have a quality infrastructure for, for data scientists to work on. So that's also something that I think we, we are going to start tackling soon. Yeah. And that brings up a great point about the need to automate. And I guess in software engineering, it's very much like automation is the goal always. And we've talked yeah. to a few people here on the meetup that have said how automation doesn't need to happen right away with data science and especially machine learning. And mm -hmm. so I'm wondering what part of your uh, pipeline do you feel needs to be automated and what part should just stay so that it, it doesn't need that? Yeah, uh, th that's also a tr always a, a tricky balance, right? And you don't want to make things uh, so standardized and automated that you remove the flexibility, like the, the creativity for, from data scientists. Uh, but also, if everybody does it differently, it's inefficient. You get, you know, all sorts of, of different approaches, right? Um, so I'm 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 always in favor of you know trying to do it you know the, the quickest way you can first and then we and you start to see a pattern of things that are popping up over and over then you see okay this this probably needs to be automated right or if it's taking a long time I think uh, monitoring is is a great example of that we see several teams working on monitoring. And so Kaike's team is, is working on, on implementing something that will be standardized and let people not spend so much time implementing monitoring uh, manually. Perfect. Now, DC, I see you in the chat and I see you're asking about the raw features. So DC is saying, are you able to remove raw features, i.e. data without fear, i.e. do you have some way of tracking lineage and usage across versions? 
Yeah, so uh, I think I, I can take this question. So today it's kind of an issue to deal with it because we, we are able to track uh, the lineage, but in a manual way. So if I want to change a single feature, um, I need to kind of query some data set to understand where this feature is used and if the models is still being used. So it's still hard to do this. So we really think like feature store can, can help us uh, to fix this because we didn't explain this, but I think the main change between what we'll have today and the feature store scenario is that today we'll have this idea of an input and training data set for a single model. So sometimes the, the feature is, is implemented only for that model and we don't have visibility for, for the other things that something exists and are being used. So I think if we move from this scenario where I have data sets for models uh, to features that exist for the entire data science, data science team. So I think we can solve this in a better way in, and in a safer way. Because for, for example, if today I remove a single raw feature from a model, I really can't say for you that maybe it's implemented for another model in another way, in another data set. So it's hard to deal with it. We, we only deal with it like if it's a really a problem, something changed, and then we, we kind of sit everyone in the same table and find out where it's being used. Cool. Thanks for that. Now, I'm wondering about when you are going through this building a feature store, what makes you want to build it internally as opposed to just going out and buying something? Yeah, that's that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, uh, especially since I joined Nubank. So before Nubank, I was at Google, and Google famously builds a lot of stuff internally, most, mostly because it needs to, like there's nothing at that scale that does that. And Nubank kind of tends to do a lot of it internally as well. And I guess some some of it is just, you know, there's always a trade-off between if you if you buy it, it's it's probably quicker, right? It it may be cheaper, uh, but it's gonna be less integrated, less customized uh, to your needs, and you also have like another dependency on uh, on another company, like the company might you know decide to increase their prices or their SLOs might or not go be good enough for you or go out of business. <laughs> Yeah, uh, or something like that, right? So it's it's always it's always a, a tricky balance. I guess we did look at into into other companies and 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 uh, existing solutions, open source solutions, etc. But it kind of in this specific scenario, I guess case by case, uh, we look at what's available in the market. And in this specific case, I think we figured that uh, the trade off made it better to build in, in, in house because it's not such a, you know, it is complex, but there's nothing that is so mature, so good in the market that it's, it would be way ahead of what we could build. And if we built it, it would be more customized, more uh, tied to our needs, our infrastructure specifically. That makes sense. Kaiki, did you want to jump in with anything? I see you. <laughs> <laughs> See, it looked like you wanted to no. talk. Yeah, uh, I would add like that. We are kind of building from scratch, but we have a lot of resources available about how other companies are building their uh, feature stores. So we did a lot of research about how people are, are dealing with it. So we are kind of getting like the best from all the solutions and trying to fit to our architecture. So. This is like really good to, to raise. We are not just like trying to solve the problem without looking at the other solutions. Uh, so we are we will probably have a lot of uh, inspiration from other other tools that are available. 
Nice. Yeah, and that's so, that's also something that you know when you're working on a new field, like being kind of a pioneer, that tends to happen, right? There isn't a lot of stuff that is very mature in the markets. Yeah, completely, completely. Now, last question, because it looks like we only got three minutes left, and I want to be respectful of your guys' time. What are the next steps and the future for NewBank and the machine learning engineering team? Yeah, that's a uh, first 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 step. It's to figure out what are the next steps. No, but I, I guess I guess the things that we mentioned uh, are already gonna take us, uh, uh, you know, a good a good deal of time to to like um, finish and stabilize. Like the feature store is is a long term project. Uh, monitoring, we have some stuff already, but there's a lot more to be done. And then we're gonna continue to uh, like the, the way we work is our team is called data science productivity. So it's like a team of engineers that serves the needs of data scientists. So what we it's going what we're going to do continually is to talk with data scientists to figure out what are their major roadblocks or the major pain points and 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 try to find patterns on what everybody's doing to to find common things that we can improve for 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 everyone to 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 work on like um yeah it's we don't have like a you know we don't have a like a five year plan uh, we don't even know what's going to happen in five years. Like we're in 2020, we don't know what's going to happen next week or tomorrow. So, <laughs> yeah. but nice. Well, guys, thank you for coming on here. This is, this is a first for our ML ops community meetups because we've never had two guests on at the same time. <laughs> I think it went pretty well. You guys have been awesome. I will ask one last quick question. Are you guys hiring? I think, I think we do have some open positions specifically, uh, for specific, uh, positions. I'm not sure if not our team specifically, but yeah, we do have a hiring page. I can, I can send the link and I, I think there are some positions there. There we go. There we go. And <laughs> the last one, best way to connect with you all. Is it through LinkedIn, Twitter, where are you most active? I think LinkedIn, but Twitter is also fine. Yeah. Both. Yeah, for me, it's LinkedIn. <laughs> there we go. All right. And on our Slack channel, I know you both are on there. So anybody who yep. is not on our Slack, we will put it in the chat again. Thank you all for joining us. This has been such an awesome time and given us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain as to what NewBank is doing and how you're doing it. I really appreciate you guys being patient with me too during my little lightning storm uh, power outage and yeah uh, it, for everyone that is still on here tomorrow just a quick announcement we have another meetup and it's all about data version control with the um, founder co-founder of dvc.org so if anybody wants to jump on it is tomorrow at the same time so see you guys Thank you so much for doing this. And yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Demetrius. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Yeah.